Hello and welcome to We Need to Talk About HR, a weekly podcast where we explore the forces shaping our jobs from new technology, shifting expectations, all the way through to tightening budgets. I am very excited to be able to welcome Danny Hodgson today. Some call him the king of workforce planning, but we're just happy to have him um, here. He's the CEO and founder of Foresight, um, a business that provides their clients with an accurate picture of workforce demands based on line manager insights. He's got years of experience working for companies like Rolls-Royce, Molson Coors Brewing, Hudson, um, and others. And he believes an accurate understanding of team composition and talent planning is one of the biggest factors uh, allowing HR to become truly proactive and strategic in their roles. Danny, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wow, that, what an introduction. I don't think I've ever heard myself described in any of these um, facets like that before. So I'm going to nip at that and that'll be my new kind of LinkedIn bio. What, the king of, king of workforce planning? You're very, you're very, you're very welcome. I'm not, nothing if not hyperbolic. Let's dive in to, um, uh, to it then. I, I'd love to understand, I think workforce planning is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And depending on companies that you speak to, it sits in a wide array of different uh, departments and accountability. So it might be operations. You might have a team for workforce planning. It might be um, a vast a, a vast number. I think most regularly it comes under under HR. Where do you think accountability for workforce planning should sit where do you where do you see that functioning the best yes it's a good question because accountability of where workforce planning sits is probably the number one reasons we see organizations uh, not doing or not even starting because is it ta is it finance is it hr is it operations out in the business and the reason for that is each one of those different business units or uh, silos would have a different definition of what workforce planning means to them. Um, but for us in TA, we need to stop thinking, trying to solve everybody's problems. So I think one of the reasons why TA leaders struggle to get off the ground with workforce planning is they often start to think it needs to link to financial headcounts, budget headcounts, etc. But it doesn't. That's the finances workforce planning job, right? TA's kind of... Uh, skin in the game there is more about demand planning right so i think each individual business unit needs to be a bit selfish in trying to solve their own problems first rather than trying to find a massive solution that fixes workforce planning business-wide so if it's more ta and hr uh listeners uh listening to this i would say break the big workforce planning down into smaller chunks and focus on the ones that impact you uh, rather than trying to bring in every single different department and trying to find a massive solution because it just doesn't work like that unfortunately so yeah accountability is probably the number one reasons we see organizations not trying or not starting but for me it would be try and get a smaller definition in terms of what does it mean to ta what does it mean to hr what does it mean to finance and then each individual business unit try and solve the smaller chunks, and then a bigger solution will naturally present itself down the line. That's really interesting. And I think my anecdotal experience of this, Danny, is that the demand for a bigger answer can come from 
finance right because they want to they want to build it out into a into a into a budget into a forecast into all into lo- the, all those sorts of areas so what are the elements that what are, what are the constituent parts of workforce planning that are important i mean i know that often you know when we've spoken in the past we've come at it from a talent acquisition or, or an hr perspective what are the bits so let's talk about that first and then maybe what are the where are the areas that those miss yeah that's so our particular philosophy and framework breaks workforce planning down into four buckets so bucket number one is about demand planning so obviously that's should predominantly sit in the TA's world. So demand plan is about having a list of every single role you're going to recruit for the next three, six, nine, 12, 36 months. That's the TA roadmap, right? So if we look at other functions, finance will uh, have a forecasted plan of activity for the next like five years, potentially. Sales will be working to a plan. Marketing will be working to a plan. Logistics, IT will all have a roadmap, but it's quite disheartening to see so many TA functions, which are almost the lifeblood of some of the organizations, right? They rock up to work and there is no roadmap, right? They do not have a demand plan. So there are, if you don't have a demand plan, in my opinion, you're a hundred percent reactive, right? So you, the service you provide will be limited. You can still be providing a great service, but it will be limited by uh, definition if you're a hundred percent reactive. So bucket number one is TA should be working to a demand plan and businesses should be providing the TA functions with a demand plan. It shouldn't be a secret. Shouldn't, this information shouldn't be sat there in finance. It shouldn't be out there in the business. It should be linking into the TA teams. They're way too important to keep them in the dark and being last to know, right? Bucket number two is about, for us, is about flight risk profiling. So it's all well and good because Uh, building and creating the world's greatest talent acquisition team. But if you don't know who your flight risks are and you're losing people at the other end of the funnel, you're going to be in this never-ending hamster wheel of re-recruiting the same people, right? So that's booking number two. For us, booking number three is about succession planning. So where do we have succession planning risks out there in the organization and how do we get in front of them to start creating better succession plans or frameworks for our key roles or our key talent and key uh, positions within the business? And then booking number four is probably a topic you're keen on. It's all about learning and development skills gap analysis. So what skills do we currently have in an organization? What skills don't we have and what skills do we need in the future and how do we kind of move and progress towards that? So those are our kind of four buckets, which does span pretty much the entire HR uh, function. Yeah, it does. I'm becoming more and more obsessed with bucket number four, um, Danny, and I'm really, really interested in taking us. I suppose looking at skills and capabilities as the solution to, uh, I suppose, workforce planning or workforce capability building rather than necessarily with hiring specific profiles. And I think that particularly as more and more skills get automated through, you know, whether it's AI, whether it's just pure automation, whether it's offshoring, whatever it is, there are so many potential solutions that companies can put in, in addition to hiring or instead of hiring, that I feel the the model that has served us really well for the last 
I mean, forever, right? Someone leaves, someone leaves, you hire someone to replace them or you train someone to replace them in that same job title. I feel that model's starting to, starting, there's some gaps are really opening up in there. And I'd just be really interested to get your perspective on once companies have an understanding of what skills and capabilities are required to um, deliver roles, what process do you think they should go go through in terms of do we need to hire for this? Should we partner? Should we train? Should we automate? Yeah, well, so that's why I think those four buckets, they all lend themselves to allowing workforce, to, to allowing an organization to move towards that workforce of the future. But the first one, I mean, the demand plan. So this is why this should effectively underpin moving towards the skills uh, of the future, because organizations, they're so entrenched with hiring like for like. When John leaves, we always hire a new job. Right. When Sally leaves, we just hire a new Sally. If we've got a detailed demand plan of every single role, that's kind of your cornerstone first piece of data that you look at and say, right, okay, what roles on this demand plan do we actually need a human to perform? So if if your um, ambition is to move towards more AI within your workforce, looking at your demand plan should be your first port of call to say, well, of these roles, growth, replacements, and all that kind of stuff, which ones of these do we actually not need in the future? And if we can start stripping out ones and twos in each department there, that will be transformational in many organizations. So looking at your um, demand plan, for me, would be your first port of call to moving towards a skills-based uh, hiring program. But then booking number four, so when we perform for our customers where they have skills gap analysis, that linking into your demand plan in terms of, well, actually, how do we not hire this particular role? Because over here, this is what the skills look like in the future. I think those two combined is where you would start. And that's it should be pretty easy to do, but it does scare a lot of organizations off. It really does. Weirdly, we're seeing a lot more traction from our finance contacts they're going wild for when they see the demand plan for the first time and we can start to put a lens over that demand plan to say actually these contact center agents for example we're growing or we're replacing well actually that role can be performed by ai or a chatbot etc that our finance contacts eyes are lighting up because they're thinking what we're able to maintain this level of productivity and lose that headcount or maybe just redeploy that headcount into a different place And I think organizations, they get a bit hamstrung in thinking they need to do organizational change at big level. Whereas for me, it's not. It's a do ones and twos slowly, slowly, because those ones and twos in each different business function will then start to snowball and mushroom effect, allowing you to make larger wholesale changes in the future, rather than asking a business leader to say, give me what your business function should look like in five years' time. They haven't got a clue, right? Well, I'd say nine times out of ten, they won't have a clue because it's it's not something they've ever done before. They weren't even aware of chat GPT like nine, 12 months ago, were they? Suddenly that's thrust upon them. Like that's how quickly things change. So don't try and do it wholesale. Start by doing ones and two roles where you're confident that that role won't exist in the future. But when your business gets used to that mindset of that change, that's when you can start kind of ramping up the speed. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm really I'm fascinated by the fact that your finance contacts are the ones who you know have got really excited by those sorts of conversations. 
it's one of my i think i think we're at a real inflection point when it comes to hr which is obviously one of the key things that we're talking about on the on the podcast it feels like there is this change there is this sort of period of accelerated change that that we're moving into and i have seen i think we're over the i think first of all there was a bit of a wave of and i'm talking really broad brushstrokes here a bit of a wave of uh disbelief about whether this change was actually going to happen from uh, people in mm-hmm. in hr functions um and ta functions now i think we're over that i think there's a general acceptance that the workforce as it exists today won't will will sort of change pretty radically it, and now we're talking about whether that's five years, 10 years or 20 years. I think what I am seeing though is a real reticence for HR to take the lead in that transformation. And I see that mirrored in the conversation we just had. What do you, what do you think is at the core of that, Danny? But what, why do I think HR are slow on the uptake compared to other functions? Is that what, is that your question? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think I've definitely. I'd be interested in if uh, if you if you agree on it. I wouldn't. It's it's not so much slow on the uptake. I would say more reticent to lead on the change. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, there could be a number of different reasons for that, but because one HR is a people centric like function, so. We desperately want to try and protect our people at all costs, don't we? That's like we're, we're inbuilt to try and please and protect and and um, and serve the kind of the employees of the organisation. The downside to moving towards more kind of automated roles is losing people from an organisation, right? So we are scared to kind of drive that change. And then on the flip side, potentially... Is it HR's role to, to to lead the change? Should the change not come from the business leaders being then supported by the HR professionals who support those business leaders? Um, again, if I talk to one of my friends who doesn't work in the, uh, in HR and it finds out that uh, this is the kind of the sector I work in, they have this common perception that HR, the fund police, they're the ones responsible for redundancies, they're the ones responsible for sacking people. It's like it's not. It's the business and the managers in the organisation. We're just there to support them in that decision, or if it's the right one, and protect them, protect the organisation, and protect the employee. Make sure all processes and policies have been followed to uh, to make sure it's a fair process. Whatever whatever's happening. So potentially, on one hand, we could argue it's not HR's job to drive the change, but ultimately to help leaders uh, who want to drive change within their business functions. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good I think that's a really good point. I I, I suppose I think it's I think that the change that's coming is going to have such a big impact on wait on things that are sort of fundamentally HR, you know, ways ways of working, well being, um, productivity to 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 some degree, L and D. That maybe it feels it feels to me like it would be one of those areas where it would be a real opportunity for HR to start adding some real proactivity to the um, to to the business. I, I completely agree that it's going to be your leadership team that's going to be the one that decides how wholeheartedly they're going to dive into into transformation. Um, 
but it feels that yeah I, I suppose it feels to me like another another sort of covid opportunity where in covid i saw some H- hr teams who were amazing and made sure that everyone got set up with it equipment at home and made sure that everyone you know well-being procedures were put in place and new ways of managing were put in place and then there were those that were more reactive and were more administrative during that that point and i think that those that were really proactive often had a step change in their how they were perceived within the organizations that they functioned in um, and suddenly took on more responsibility and suddenly were seen as as leaders whereas maybe the more reactive ones didn't have that that opportunity so maybe i'm seeing it more as not they should be the ones driving the change but they could be and that's a really exciting opportunity it was i mean it, and it was such a difficult period of time for everyone wasn't it so if we talk about frontline workers being the front line the people sat behind them in my opinion were the hr professionals supporting them to be able to deliver that so the, the deployment of IT infrastructure, uh, making sure people could operate in a, in a way from home, etc., I believe was wholly down to nine times out of ten the HR functions within within a business. Mm. Probably didn't get the thanks and the praise uh, behind that to allow organisations to keep operating, keep trading, um, keep products flying out the door. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, where where HR functions really stepped up there, and naturally they, they should have uh, an elevated level of credibility because of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's let's put it back to the skills um, gap that that you were talking about before. Um, have you worked? I mean, when you're looking at the skills gaps that you identify. How useful has that been then for L and D departments to to build sort of longer longer tail straight training off the back of the insight that they're able to get from from workforce planning? Yes, yeah, so there's two levels of the skills gap that we kind of perform for our customers. One is so we. Um, we have a conversation with every single manager, right? And we find out where they believe they would benefit from certain training uh, programs. So we, we, we take them to an exercise and gather that. That information, that data is passed to L&D teams where a couple of different uh, approaches are taken. One, organizations, they're mega happy that the fact that managers are putting their hands up, say, yes, I want Excel training, financial awareness training, this training, this training. Because in the, some of the organizations we're in, the L&D function already have those modules available to them. So instantly they can go back to those managers and say, look, yes, you've requested this training. Well, here's the module, et cetera. So the manager feels heard and they've been responded to immediately, right? So they're thinking, blimey, I only told L&D yesterday that I wanted this. And immediately they've had some follow-up with some training uh, guidance, whether it's online or whatever. Or if they if they don't have that training uh, material, it allows the L&D to go out and procure it to then, again, feed it back in. So either way, manager is being upskilled and trained uh, on what they feel they need. But then what we also do is we take those managers through an exercise to extract what skills uh, gaps they have within their teams. Uh, so again, when we can then feed in those skills gaps uh, from their teams, it allows those managers to link into their teams a bit stronger, a bit more connected because they're going to upskill uh, their teams and increase their level of productivity depending on uh, what the uh, the training requirements are. But either way, 
it's again all of this stuff is linked to being investing in your people right so it's not just about pay rises it's not just about promotions it's not just about uh, all those factors sometimes a key retention uh, strategy for organizations is investing in them in terms of their training and their capability uh, but also within their teams as well because Quite often we see a big blocker in managers' progressions because they don't have a successor. Well, actually, if they can build a successor with better training and skills uh, analysis uh, in their teams, they can then create a successor in place, which will then unlock their kind of future potential to progress within the organization. So all of these things, and we talked about the demand plan, we talked about understanding flight risk and succession and L&D, they're all linked uh, because the one thing is it's about building productivity, moving to that workforce of the future, but also the vast majority of all of the programs is just about retaining your uh, key uh, talent, isn't it? Because everybody's after the same talent, but if you can invest in them um, in different ways, that's how organizations will win. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it also goes to um that point we were you know we were talking about where technology can support employees and team members you know we were talking about you know can can this role be done by technology but there are also there's also a huge amount that's going on at the moment as can technology do the more boring parts of the role to make everyone's work more flexible and more enjoyable i think that's a really that's a really i think will increasingly emerge as one of the reasons why people stay or um, stay or leave an organization i think that having uh, a slick process and operation so that people can h- focus on high value work is going to be more and more of a value driver for employees who are then you know it would be it would feel very strange to leave a, a, a team that was very tech enabled and then move to one that was that was sort of at the other end of the spectrum i think that would feel very clunky indeed and could become one of the key reasons for um, for retaining people. Well, and so that directly linked is obviously we could talk about teams in an organization wide, but apply that exact theory and that thinking to TA teams, right? So we see, so again, I'm lucky enough to talk to so many TA leaders and teams and get an insight into the ways of working uh, because of the work I do. The number, we all talk about candidate experience. We all talk about hiring manager experience, right? But I think one of the big topics on the rise is going to be recruiter experience, right? Because if TA leaders do not fix their workforce planning problem, right, who feels the pain? Recruiters, because they're flogged to death. They've already got 35 live recs. Oh, I didn't have a demand plan and I didn't see these other 100 recs coming down the line. Well, who has to fill them? Recruiters, right? Yeah. Um, so TA leaders potentially will feel some pain in terms of credibility from their stakeholders. But the people on boots on the ground trying to fill these recs are recruiters. So if you have two teams, right, two organizations, one TA function had a workforce plan or a demand plan, right, where workload could be flattened out, they could plan it, they could uh, do all the stuff that they love doing, using technology to source, engage, uh, build relationships with talent partners. But then the other organization, no demand plan, where it's completely reactive, you're working 50, 60 hours a week, who are you going to go and work for? You're going to choose the TA leader that chose to invest in trying to fix work for, because the recruiter experience is better. 
And when the recruiter experience is better, your hiring manager experience is better. When your hiring manager experience is better, your candidate experience is better. So it all starts with creating a working environment within the TA team that people want to work in. We don't want to have, I, when I was at Rolls-Royce, I remember at my peak, I think I had 116 live recs, right? And some of those were multiple recs, right? Some of them were multiple positions behind it. But 116 live, it's impossible. There was no value-added service there in terms of it was just a transactional. At that level, you can't even review CVs. You can't. I was being flogged to death, which is that's where you're thinking, actually, there must be a better way of working than this reactive world. So, yeah, start to think about recruiter experience because that will feed down the line into your entire TA process. That's really interesting. I'm sure that 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 there's an there's an equivalence across every every department in the business as well. So I'm I've been really interested in, I mean, the power that a a little data can have, a little insight can have, um, in and that's what I love about Foresight, having you know seen the seen the platform. Those sort of insights really unlock a lot of different value add um, solutions. Across, not meaning to plug it too much across HR. Um, across L and D and across talent acquisition, what are the other bits of data that is that you've seen that are seldom collected at the moment, but that could unlock a huge amount of value for HR teams? So, um, the two, one thing that I think I would love to champion more is. It's, it will effectively it's a metric. So well, it is data, but we call it notice to recruit, right? And what it does, this data that we harvest, it shows how um, hiring manager communities engage with their recruitment partners, right? So one of our customers previously, we ran, uh, we collected a load of data for them, ran some numbers, and it turned out across, I think it was about 900 roles, we, we had this sample set. So the data set was big enough for it to be legit it turned out on average they were being told about a position minus three days so when the position needed to be filled the person had already left three days ago right or the project had started three days ago right or whatever the need for that demand it was minus three days uh, so that means some of it that was an average figure right so obviously some of it was minus 20 minus 30 minus 40 some of it was like plus 10 whatever right but the average time that they were engaging with their recruitment team was minus three days so what happens right everything is on fire right it's a as a recruiter or a recruitment business partner there's very little you can do or challenge back when you're put in that position so if the manager's saying things like we need to engage 10 agencies well it's very hard to say, well, actually, you need to give me a bit of time. We can directly source it. It's a, no, this project is already three days overdue. Even though the problem stemmed from the hiring manager, right, it's still kind of the recruiter's fault now, right, because they haven't got someone ready to go. But the data then post doing a uh, robust workforce planning or a demand planning process, that exact customer went from minus three days to plus 87 days within two weeks. So suddenly managers were giving them 87 days heads up uh, on each. And again, that was an average. Some of it was like two, three years. Some of it was less than 87 days. But an average of 87, suddenly overnight, it's almost like all the fire's gone out. The recruiters can start to think. They can start to breathe. They can start to plan. They can do briefings properly. They can engage 
their talent pipeline that they've worked so hard to build up in their ATS, every other piece that they've done over the last two years, they can start to think, hang on a minute, I can do the great work that I like to do rather than just becoming this person trying to fix a problem straight away without uh, too much time to do so. So I'd love organizations to start to track that metric because it gives them an an instant indication of how reactive the hiring communities are. So for us in TA to hold a mirror back up to the business and go, that's how you engage with us. That's how you operate with us. Imagine if sales had that same relationship with fulfillment and manufacturing. It would the business would implode, wouldn't it? In terms of we need a hundred thousand ready meals. All right, let's tell manufacturing. Now, when do you need them? Well, the shelves are already empty. So you're like, I mean, imagine that happening because that's exactly what's happening in TA, right? Um, so I'd love organizations to start looking and doing some investigation work to go, actually, where is this problem? Ah, it's in the business, not feeding this information into us early enough. It's really interesting. I think it it would enable a change of perspective taking us away from talent acquisition which for me always which always has an external lens on it right um Mm. by by nature with two years or six no with six months um well with six days notice there's very little choice you always have to go external because almost always have to go external because there's no time with six months i think there's a pretty decent chance that you can really start getting creative with um, some of the things we were talking about before, can we train someone into the role? Can we move someone in from another department? Can we relocate someone who's really excited to l- live in another geography for a while and get all of those really rich value value adds that surround that and sort of encourage breaking down of silos and um, in- increase retention all the rest of it? With two years, pretty much any talent challenge is solvable, right? Um, yeah, and so I think... If you've got that that longer term map and that and that notice to recruit, it really unlocks a lot of different channels that you can um, that you can take, and it can turn your talent acquisition team more into a you know talent enablement, talent management, talent talent as a sort of broader term. Mm. Exactly, this, it's the power of time, isn't it? So investing in a workforce planning. Uh, process you're buying more time so whether you're in ta whether you're in hr whether you're in operations or whatever if suddenly you're given more time right whatever your problem is you will be able to solve it that's that's that it doesn't get any uh simpler than that really yeah that's um that's really really interesting danny so crystal ball out then i mean talking about the sort of immediate term and things that are already possible in 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 hr let's let's jump five years into the into the future what are you expecting to see in terms of the role that hr is expected to play in the organization and the role that recruitment ta is is expected to play i think there's a couple of answers there so if i look at the cynic in me right would say not much will change in five years (laughs) um but then will change be forced upon HR from external uh, so, uh, external forces, if that makes sense. 
I'd love to see. Obviously, we, we've gone from that old personnel model, right, where these people knew everything in the business to then transitioning to the Ulrich model, right? So in five years' time, potentially, I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you what a HR function could do. Um, it's There's too many possibilities. I'd love to see them more represented at a higher level driving business change because if you unlock the true power of a hr function you're unlocking the organization's um potential that's that's what it comes down to mm. so it's how i'd love to see them probably going back to an earlier point you know when we said is it hr's responsibility to drive change well actually maybe in five years time we might have the credibility to start um proposing change and driving it and people our peers our sales directors finance directors etc actually sitting up and taking notice yeah well let's hope so well danny thank you so much for joining me today i really really enjoyed the conversation yeah likewise it's been fantastic